Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Earlier in the year I caught up with the casting instructor and guide Robert Gillespie to find out more about his life and career in fly fishing. Since then he has changed his career path as a chef, but he is still a mine of information when it comes to improving your casting and salmon angling. And for this follow-up interview I wanted to glean some nuggets from Robert around tactics and technique. Robert places great emphasis on knowing the type of water you're fishing, the light conditions and timing the salmon runs. And listening to him speak you can't help but come away with tips and advice that will definitely improve your fishing. I first asked him though about his change of career. The, the route of to be a full-time guide, you know, there's less estates in Ireland than you would have in Scotland, say, so there's only uh, a certain amount of options available to people who would want a full-time job. And then, you know, there is no real, there, there might be one or two full-time jobs, but you have to fill, you'd have to fill in the winter, usually doing something else as well, you know. Uh, it's the, There has been a de- decline in the fishing, all right, you know, there's no question about that. And Certain areas, as I talked the last time, like I said, the autumn runs here aren't what what they were and stuff like that. It's 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 hard to say, you know. It's 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 it's. Um, I, I'm not answering this question correctly. I would say that um, there's been a decline in my lifetime overall, but there's still a demand for people to come to Ireland to fish. There's still people interested in salmon angling. There's still a new developments in the sport and you know there's a lot of good trout fishing in the country as well and that seems to be looked after and people seem to protect the the natural trout fisheries and all that on the, on the great lakes for instance there seems to be an interest you know uh, i would be more involved in the salmon angling side of it so uh you know as, as i'd say you have to adjust to the natural changes in the runs as i was talking about the last time like for instance you know i would i'm not i've no interest my father used to say actually even years ago uh, if you haven't your salmon gathered up by the middle of July, you have no real business looking for them afterwards. You know, you may or may not get good fishing afterwards, but you should be out spring fishing and early grills fishing. That's that's when it's all, that's when the fish are at their prime and that's when they're worth fishing for and that's when they're a good quarry. Now, if there was good autumn fishing at times, you know, he said this after the autumn fishing had started to decline, you know, and uh, you're kind of right, you know, as I said the last time, there's difference between fishing for autumn fish and fishing for salmon in the autumn. I have no personal interest myself now, absolutely none in fishing for old, long, stale resident fish. It just doesn't interest me, you know, and I wouldn't advise anyone to do it either. Now, I, I, you know, I target the, the prime fish when they're fresh on, and that's when the fishing's best anyway, and that's when they're, they're most likely to, to take and stuff like that, you know. So. Yeah. Well, I think as well, as, isn't it, that, if anything green shoots from this year is that you've you know you hear of the kind of rise of interest in terms of people wanting to get back out to outdoors and nature and rediscovering fishing and you know i know i know i've read it in america and the uk in terms of kind of licenses sales gone up so fingers crossed that and i know just speaking to um, a couple of people anecdotally they're saying friends of theirs have gotten back into it now as well so you'd hope maybe Whenever drift netting stopped, right, everybody thought immediately that this country would become like, say, Iceland or parts of Canada or something, that there would be a deluge of salmon coming into the rivers and it'd be thriving once again. Everything would be back uh, to what it was, say, years ago, you know, before drift netting or whatever, and thought that this would this would be the, the new norm, you know, and, and, and that would support a, a very big tourist industry and, and industry would would benefit to, you know, in areas like Connemara or whatever. But uh, that, that, the, the funny thing is, like about the second year, about 2008, I think it was after Driftnet and stopped, there was a bumper run, you know, and then I thought for certain, and, I, you know, I thought this is going to be the way it's going to be all, all the time, but it, it didn't happen. And that's what I was going to say at the start. You, you know, but it's maybe too pessimistic. We think, well, why, why didn't that happen then, you know? And, and is it that the natural nature does decide i've always said that anyway but is it that the natural uh, environment was under so much pressure uh, that it, it can't recover or is it because of cycle change or whatever but it's a disappointment let's put it that way that it didn't get back to the numbers uh, uh, that it would be pre-drift this now having said that when i worked at delphi there and they were ranching program and, and they bring fish back that's very successful most of the fish maybe 80 percent of the fish caught there are ranched fish and you can't really tell the difference between a ranched spring salmon, say, and a wild one, except that the adipose fin has been clipped. You wouldn't really, you know, there there is more or less the same fish. You couldn't tell otherwise. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a successful program, which then makes you think, well, okay, you know, nature must still be all right in that 
you know, there's spring fish coming back when you put them in. So it must, you know, there must be something on it. So, and, you know, and you'll, you'll then there's other times you look at fish that come back and you wouldn't see better conditioned fish than spring salmon anywhere. You know, very deep, very heavy fish, chunky shoulders. And all you think, well, they're, they didn't suffer any problems out at sea. You know, so it makes you wonder. All these things make you wonder. Having said, uh, as I say, it's very I don't want to be pessimistic, you know, but somebody looking to get into the salmon angling industry, well, there's there's international travel nowadays as well, so people can go abroad and stuff, you know. Uh, I don't know what way to look at it. That's that's. All. I'm just glad one of the benefits of being older is I've seen good fishing in the past, especially good autumn fishing before it disappeared, you know. So that's the only uh, one of, one of the benefits I can say. But, um, you know, I wouldn't put anybody off either. It's a lifestyle choice. Sometimes it's more of a, a lifestyle choice than anything else, you know. And if you want to do that and want to be in that world, well, you know, go for it is what I would say as well, you know. And just even from uh, talking about salmon angling, from an angling pers- angler's perspective, I kind of now nearly see it as, yeah, it might be harder in terms of catching the fish, but that's the challenge in itself. It's 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 trying to find out more and make yourself a better angler to to to, exactly. to to catch yeah. the fish and that's the kind of way i think you need to start looking at it in terms of yeah we have to accept salmon runs whether they're cyclical or it's you know something bigger that's going on in the planet that the numbers have declined but there's still people catching fish so you just got to be a better fisherman um, to yeah, do yeah, so, yeah so just on that robert um you like i wanted to ask you really kind of because i've I've read some of the fascinating um, pieces you've got on your website in terms of kind of, and they're very, very detailed um, and very learned in terms of kind of salmon tactics. Um, we might just touch on that in terms of kind of how people can improve um, their salmon, their catch rates or their salmon angling, especially when they're approaching a river. But you've got a, you want to approach it maybe from a certain different perspective and look at it as in the terms of the different anglers that exist. Yeah, it depends what the person wants out of it themselves, or it depends on the person's mindset, you know. At the beginning, with every there's a learning curve in anything, you know. But uh, some people are happy to go with salmon fishing because, you know, they're working all all the time, and they, you know, it's, they get away at the weekend for a day, and then maybe meet their friends, and they go somewhere and have a nice lunch in a pub or whatever, and they're just doing it to dabble in it, you know. As and if if you get a fish, to get a you know, a fish might pass by, they might hit good conditions, they might get a fish. And they might not, and sometimes they will have a great time, and they'll remember that. And it's it's all uh, ideal, but they're not going to take it any more serious than that. They're dabbling, and there's other people then, you know, maybe they're living beside a river, and they're in a club and association water, and they can start to get to know that river really well, and start to learn, you know, where the salmon stay at different times of year and why, and and what flies or tactics are good on that river, what lines and stuff. Then there's other people that are. Um, totally uh <laughs> the, how would i say it the hunter type people who want want to know the reason behind everything they might have started off as in one of the other categories but then they get into realizing that uh, you can see sometimes there is a reason for things to happen and things do have a pattern and the fish do take in this place or that place or stop here at this time of year and not at other times. You start to put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and the more they learn then the more they want to learn and the and the more interesting it becomes. And I I often define it this way. There's a difference between uh catching fish by design and catching fish because you're out there fishing and a fish sees your fly and takes it, that's fresh fish that's passing. And really the the answer to that would be if you can predict what's going to happen and why and give the reason why. Now, I don't mean the reason why totally. I mean, you know what happens and roughly why it happens. You don't know why, you know, why salmon taking all this mystery. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about because you were using this angle, this speed and this speed at this time and, and in this lie. It's enough to know what happens. Uh, you don't have to know every why, but you know roughly why, uh, as, far, as, as far as the practical approach is concerned. Now, I would say say that a lot of the stuff that I would have to say only really applies to the people that are uh, hunter type people. You know that are that are keen on, on, on because that's what I became myself and what I learned from other people that I met as well who told me things, such as for instance. One of the one of the greatest revelations you ever got was um, when I went to the Upper Blackwater one time, and there was a lot of grills there, really a lot, and they were jumping. And myself and my father was setting up the rod, and there was a man called Kieran Bolster. There was his stretch, and 
I said to him, there's a lot of a lot of fresh grill series. He says, yeah, I said, should, should you know, have a, it's good fast fly water and, you know, it should be, should prospects should be good. He said, oh, you won't catch anything on the fly today. And I said, well, the water's clean. Everything looks good. I said, it's a reasonable height. There's fish there. I said, what are you, you seem pretty certain about that. He said, you won't catch them. And I said, well, we'll see. He says, yeah, we'll see. He said, I'm telling you, you won't catch them. And he said, uh, but he said, he said, he said, this is a big enough river. He said, and you're looking at the river. You come from the Moy. I said, yeah, it's a lock-fed river. Yeah, he says, in low water, clear water, the salmon on a lock-fed river, or indeed on a spring-fed river like the Slaney, they'll still take the fly, he said. But this is a spate river. It doesn't matter about the size of it, he said. It's by nature, it's a spate river, and it needs recent rain and a drop and flood for the fish to take well. And he said, and you're going fishing a spate river in low water. He said, you might get one late in the evening on a small trout fly or mini tube just before dark or something like that but he said during the day you won't get good fishing because there's no spate now if it was a drop in spate and that many fish there and all that you catch them and i foolishly because i was younger said to him i'll show you i'll, I'll catch them anyway <laughs> anyway because in my mind if that was on the moy for instance or on the shannon at castle connell and there was that many fresh grills there i i would have expected you know to be able to to catch them and have a good day, but he, he and then he said, I remember always remember him saying before he left, and because it was their first day there, and he said, by the way, he said, do you light line worm fish? And I said, I do, yeah. And he said, you know the proper light line? I said, I do, yeah. He said, well, if you want to get a fish, he said, uh, you could do that. He said, you, you'd fill a sack of them if you do that before you leave. He said, if you're stuck, and he said, you probably will will be stuck. And he was right, you see. He was absolutely right. And But that was the first time someone told me about the nature of rivers, and then it all made sense, you know. So the Moy being a lock-fed river, you know, somebody, people in the Moy times make the mistake of thinking, you know, it'll fish better after a flood. Sometimes you're getting good fly fishing, and the flood will actually ruin it because it's settled, and the water's coming out of Loch Conn and Cullen, and the fish are there. All you need on the Moy is actually the right type of weather, dull, but windy, stuff like that. And that's why you have things uh, on the Moy, for instance, like mini tube fishing that work really, really well, which don't work as well in other places. They might, as I said, they are before dusk or something like that, but it doesn't uh, offer the same experience that you get on the Moy. And it's just down to the nature of the river. So you've you've lock-fed rivers, spring-fed rivers, and spate rivers, and it doesn't matter about the size, but... In essence, the Mo the Moy and and Springfed rivers like the Slaney are are different from true Spate rivers, you know. So what, that's one of the first things you to, and that was one of the biggest things that uh, I realised. So like, if I'm going to fish a Spate river, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go to it when it's slow. And I'm not saying you wouldn't catch an odd fish, but you won't experience generally good fishing, you know. So it's better to hit it when it's when it's right, stuff like that. But that's like what you've explained to me just makes it so clear. Um... Robert, in terms of the explanation, um, one thing strikes me as, as you're as you're talking me through that is, do you think like when you read any of the kind of information around salmon fishing that it's too much focused on the gear, the equipment, and the flies as opposed to the actual type of rivers as you've just explained it like at least with trout fishing, you know, there's the focus on entomology and why fish are catching at the time. Yeah. Do you think there needs yeah. to be more of a focus then from a salmon angler's perspective on the actual river, like you've just explained it, the type of river, because you said, because as you've explained it there, there's a whole rationale when and why is, salmon yeah. will catch. And like, there's not a huge, like from my read, maybe it's limited, but the limited reading I've done is that it's, there's not much of, there's not as much of a focus on that type of, um, of uh, focus on conditions. There isn't a focus, and, and you learn these things from basically the older people, the older generation. Another good example was, uh, although it's, it does apply to rivers, but it was when I was lock fishing on Lock Belter, and there was a ghillie there, James O'Hora. They used to call him the Seagull Man. He, I think he's dead a while now. But um, he told me one day about the lead and light. Now, that was a revelation as well to me about uh, certain situations, certain conditions. So we're out on Belter in the springtime, fishing for spring salmon. In the 80s, you used to do that. On the sort of last week of March, the first 10 days that it opened, and we used to go with, bring a party over and all that stuff. But anyway, um, I used to let him fish because, you know, you'd learn by watching him the way he fished and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, one day, it looked good to me, you know, it was dull, windy, and everything was all right. 
And I realized by this stage that anything that man said was, you know, gospel, basically. He'd got the experience behind it. And I says to him, because uh, he liked the fish, you know, I said, here, you want to fish for a while, James? I'll take a break. He says, no, not really. And that was the first time he'd refused. And I said, you don't want to fish? He says, no. He says, well, you, are you feeling all right? Or no, he says, you won't catch a fish today. Now, this is like at about 11, quarter past 11 in the morning. I said, you won't catch a fish. I said, it's still on windy. I said, it looks all right. You know, he said, oh, it doesn't look all right. He said, it doesn't. And then he said, uh, watch your flies when they're coming in. He said, see if you can see them clearly in the water. And I couldn't, you know, it was a glare. he says, there's a glare off the water. I said, yeah, he said, you, he says, that's the lead and light. He said, look at the horizon. He said, the lake and the sky and clouds and mist. He said, you can't really differ. He said, the lake, this is what he said. He said, the lake looks like mercury or molten lead. And I says, right. And so it did, you know. And then he said, there's a haze in the air. It's a faint haze, but it's there. He says, a high pressure dullness and all this stuff. And he explained it. And he said, just look at that light. He said, Whenever you see that light and how you know it is, you can't see your flies coming in the water clearly. You won't catch any salmon, that's it. He said, that's the way it is. And now we, we paid him every day. And this was in the morning. And I remember it was a Welsh visitor at the front of the boat. And I says, okay, we'll go in. I said, you can go touring today or do something else. And the <laughs> guy's looking at me. I said, listen, if he says we're not going to catch any salmon, we're not going to catch any salmon. That's the end of it. I said, I, I, I said, I know enough to know that he knows what he's talking about. So I said, I'm not going to flog a dead horse, you know. I said, use the day to go and send a postcard home or go shopping or whatever it is you have to do. So we went in and, you know, we're in about half 11. So that was fine. I paid him the full wages, obviously, on tip and everything as I normally do. I always do that and let him off, you see. And I said, thanks for telling me. So he said, okay. And then uh, about three nights later, we're out and... We're about to go in. We hadn't got a fish. And he turned around and he says, no, don't go in yet. He said, he said, when that wind dies off and you get a glassy ripple, he said, that cold wind dies. He said, the fish will take for about half an hour, an hour. And he, and he stayed out. The only reason he stayed out is we were decent with him. You know, and then he, so he stayed out and, and then we caught two fish. So he knew what was happening in that lake just to look at the light and all the rest. But one, one time then later, I remember being uh, taken to Delphi and uh, down the road, the guy was excited, you know, nearly jumping in the seat because it was dull and windy. But I could see then the lead and light, you know, so I arrived there and I just knew that it was all shot because James had told me it wouldn't matter, river, lake, anything, it doesn't work. So they were actually excited because of the conditions. And I said, no, it's it's the worst conditions imaginable. So I said, the lead and lights in it. What do you mean the lead and light? I said, look at the haze and look at the... I said, when you're down the river, I said, you'll see, you won't be able to see your flies correctly when they're coming in with the glare in the water and all that, which was the case. And once you see it and recognize it once, then you recognize it all the time. And the thing, the thing about it is it looks good if you don't know because it's dull, there's a bit of wind, everything looks like what you'd, what you'd expect to, to, you know, not not glaringly bright or anything like that, but there's this glare on this awful... It's It's actually the worst conditions I know of. And and the, the sad thing about it is it looks okay if you don't know, but once you know, you know. And and I said to the, that day that nobody will catch any fish today. That's it. It's all over. It's a waste of time. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Now both those things that I've mentioned there, you learn from older people. Now when you when you talk to older people, you know, it's like years ago or on the road, for instance, then they will tell you about the color, for instance, the colors of Diane shrimp flies, like like the claret, the wine claret, and stuff like that. So. Throughout your life, if you ever meet these people, you know, it's like another guy told me um, one day, I remember spinning down in Balna on the canal stretch when there was a big autumn run. And the, that guy died tragically, Slim Collie, called him, he fell off his bike, and <clears throat> a push bike. And unfortunately, he, I think he broke his neck and died in hospital. But he was a great angler and he was out every day all the time. And we were fishing and I was young, you know, I might have been about like 16 or 17 and uh, it was the one time it was open in October. I know that much because that's when it was. And he said to me, uh, uh, listen, he said, um, I remember I hadn't got a fish. It was good few fish been caught. And he said to me, come here. He says, cast out there. And he says, see that smooth bit out there? Yeah. He says, just throw you. It was a waverback sticky spoon. I remember it. Like the first cast coming across, bang, the fish took it. And then he said, he just said to me, uh, you know, don't, don't fish any rough bit. He said, only fish the smooth bits. He said, see that smooth flow? And he explained to me about the flow. Now, later on, it was explained to me by a scientist that it was called 
a viscous flow. And uh, he said only, he said, when the water gets high and gets, especially when it gets high and gets mad, he said, look for the smooth bits and just fish the smooth bits. And now, after he told me that, my catch rate increased dramatically. You know, I was young at the time, but it made such a difference because he said, they're the only lies the fish will stay in in the, in the heavy water. And, you know, if you end up, you're only fishing lies where fish are running, fresh fish are staying, well, your chances then, you're, you know, you could you could turn around and say maybe 80, 85% of the river could be a waste of space in the, in the flood. You know? and, the, and then the more extreme conditions are, the more focused the fish are or concentrated the fish are in the areas that are right. And if you're only fishing them areas, then, then your catch goes up because you're fishing more efficiently, let's put it that way. Whereas when before I was just fishing everywhere, and so largely, a lot of the time, I was just wasting my time. But the reason I was wasting my time is because I didn't know. And this is the key to everything. When you don't know something, uh, then you're, you are you might meet someone to put you on the right track. But the other thing is, if you look at you could work that out eventually yourself if you were careful enough to analyze whenever everybody's there fishing and see where people are catching fish at what water heights. If you were clever to make a note of everything that's going on on around you, you'd probably work it out eventually yourself. And it's easier when someone tells you, and then and and after you say, as we were about to say in the high before, once you see, once you know it, you know it, and then you can see it happening in real life. And it's just like say it's the same with flies. We're talking about flies, and you know what flies are successful. Now fly tires suffer. I'm a fly tire. It suffers. Some fly tires I don't suffer from a, an affliction where they keep trying to make new flies and new flies. Now I never try to make a new fly ever. I only it's like a big experiment going on all around you all the time. Like why is a cascade a successful fly? It's not successful because uh, you know there's there's thousands of flies made. It's successful because there's a big experiment going on where people use them and. The, a successful fly will be passed along or recommended by someone and eventually becomes widely used. But it became widely used because it works. That's why it's successful. It's not successful because someone said, oh, I like the look of that or I like this or I'll try this or try that. It's successful because it works as all flies are successful because the work and the cascade works well, say, in fast fly water. You know, whereas on the Moy then and other places where it's slower. The fly you need to choose is a fly that suits the slower water, like Irish shrimp flies or mini tubes and stuff like that. So that's a, that's another whole reason that we're talking about. There's always reasons for things. And when you put all the reasons together, a bit at a time, it's like building your jigsaw puzzle, building a jigsaw puzzle. And how do you know you got it right? You can predict in advance what's going to happen. That's how that's that's confirmation. Then as it's confirmed in real life, you know that you're on the right track uh, what's happening. And the best way to learn is to is to realize there's a reason for everything. And, and once you realize that, you start to put the pieces together. Can I ask you just in terms of flies and in tactics, are you, what are you looking for? Like, again, it, it goes according to the conditions. Are you looking at depth first off when you get to the river and you're looking at the lies and, and, and then you're going to fly choice after that, is it? Yeah, so, so mostly the water speed and the time of year and uh, the type of river, you know, if it was a peat stain river or gin clear water, so uh, the speed of the water would be the, the biggest single factor, let's say, and then the freshness of the fish because of the time of the year, you know. Um, let's say, uh, like the willy gun is a very successful salmon fly willy gun tubes. Now, you, you won't really go wrong. There, there's some flies that are universal flies, let's put it that way. I've caught, uh, you know, early spring fish on the willy gun and gin clear water. I've caught lots of growths in the willy gun and peaty water on the earth in July and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a generally universally successful fly. It suits clear water, it suits peaty water, it suits uh, large sizes and small sizes. Uh, you know, I usually use it in tubes. So that's a, that's a really useful fly to have, and that's why it's popular and that's why it's successful. The Cascade, you could say, is similar, you know. So there are other flies then that are not so... Uh, universally successful, but they're extremely successful in their circumstances, in the, in the right situation. That's like why the, the Moy River is fairly unique. And that's why on the Moy, for instance, Irish shrimps will generally up the river anyway, will outfish almost everything else because their their design suits the suits the water and the way your your way you're fishing the way the fish suits the water. Now, what what when you look at fly. Uh, uh, sorry, when you look at the water speed, you're going to decide, I've, I've said this in the past, is either you're going to fish passively or you're going to fish actively, and that depends on the water speed. So passive fishing means the water's going to fish the fly for you. 
in other words, in fast water, if you cast across 45 degrees, whatever, and hold the rod, you know, and the current's bringing the fly line around to your own bank, well, the water going past that fly gives the fly a fly water speed itself. So now you might have to speed it up or slow it down by menton or whatever its progress, but fly water speed is the key thing. You know, in other words, to get technical about it, when there's water moving from the front of the fly to the back of the fly, uh, that's that's fine. Now, if, if, if I went to, um, it's it, the reason you have to have a fly water speed is it's got to look alive to the fish. If it was just dead drifting down with the current, it's going to look like a leaf or anything. It doesn't, doesn't create the impression of life. And the fish are only going to, notice something by the movement or by the impression of life that's creating. So if, if it looks like an item of prey to them, it's just the instinct to have. Uh, they'll Sometimes they'll attack it just from predatory instinct. But it's got to have a fly water speed. Now, the fly water speed, if I was fishing, uh, let's say, passively on the Galway weir pool, and I'm throwing out, you know, a, a posh tarsh tube or some some type of willy gun or whatever, letting it cross and the, and the current's faster and, and everything's uh, fine. That's, I'm fishing down and across standard way. That's that's uh, the the passive type of fishing. Now, if, if it was on, the say, the, the pier side or the walkway side and I put on an Irish shrimp and I wanted to fish Irish shrimp at a specific lie, right, I wouldn't throw it across and let the current swing it around because the fly isn't designed for that. The fly is designed for me to pulsate the fly across the river to me now. So what I what I would do is I would pick a spot where I think the fish is going to be, uh, even in the fast water, and I would throw up and across, and it would be not right across the river. It would just be for the patch that I want to fish. And then I would hand line and pulsate and lift the rod and fish that fly back towards me. So it would be crossing the river, but it would be moving more downriver as it crosses than if I was fishing uh, passively, say I had cast downriver. So it's like, let's put it this, here's a good example. If it was a rectangle or a square box, uh, so you've, you, let's say you have your rectangle and you have your top left corner, bottom right corner. So if you're fishing um, passively, that uh, rectangle is going to be the opposite way to the one that you're fishing actively. The long side, if you're fishing actively, would be, um, parallel with the riverbank, and the long side, if you're fishing passively, sorry, would be uh, the short side would be parallel to the riverbank. If you get what I mean, so the fly would be starting the top left, finishing the bottom right. So how you fish that triangle, how you move that fly through that triangle, rectangle, sorry, not <laughs> rectangle, is how you're fishing. And if I have to hand line and lift the rod and pulsate the fly back with an Irish shrimp fly, then I'm fishing actively. I'm doing something. Now, the other way when I'm fishing passively, the water's doing the main thing. And it doesn't mean I do nothing. I have to have the cast put in on the right angle, the right place in the first place. Then I have to manage the line by either holding the rod out or mending it, or mending it, maybe holding it in and mending it because I want to speed it up a bit or I could slow it down or whatever, But I'm or raising or lowering the rod or mending the line, whatever. But I'm always actively fishing the fly even when I'm passively fishing, if that makes it doesn't make sense. But what I'm saying, I'm not just throwing it out and ignoring it. You know, I'm making sure it's doing what I wanted to do, where I wanted to, how I wanted to do it. Now, sometimes that means a lot of work for me, and sometimes not a lot. And for instance, a good example would be at Delphi on the bridge pool. If I'm fishing in the springtime for early spring fish and um, fishing a single-handed rod, and I'm fishing a sunray shadow, not a really big giant sunray shadow, just a normal like nine centimeter, seven centimeter sunray shadow. And I'm kneeling on the bank because I don't want the fish to see me. And I'm cr crouching down and I'm single handed rod, say 10, 11 foot rod. I'm working upstream, I've cast an upstream of 45 degrees. The water's deeper on my side. And what I'm doing is uh, casting up. And as soon as the fly hits the water, uh, it's called, it's called you hit the ground running. So that fly hits the water. And I don't let it sink, pause, hesitate or nothing. I immediately hand line back and I'm doing long just by hand line and I'm steadily lifting the rod as well. So the fly isn't stopping and starting. It's it's continually moving and it's making a furrow and it's coming down over and down across towards me. And that's probably the most exciting fishing of all. You know, you just eyes on that pool, you know, where the springfish are. And when that springfish comes up and nails that fly and you're actively fishing it, fishing it back, and I've had them come up and take it and sort of half moon shape, take it on the way out 
go plowing up river through the air, and you're actually everything tightens up when the fish is in the air. It's amazing, you know what I mean? It's it's incredible actually fishing, and these are these are like fresh spring fish, you know, nine, ten, eleven, twelve pound spring fish, and you you've been handling that flyback. Now here's what I talk about uh, casting and all that. I'm really actively fishing that fly, but if I hand my fly rod to a guest, even after showing them what to do, and I have done this, they can't do it, and they can't do it because they can't both hand line and lift the rod at the same time and you know hit the ground runner and all the rest of it and if you do anything wrong there the fish can't see the fly until it's furrowing towards them and it, it's make your mind up time if he's going to have it he's got to nail it there and it's the suddenness the appearance quick appearance out of nothing and he's got to take it or not take it or let it go and you know if there's a fresh one there a sea lice red he'll, he'll usually nail it you know and it's the most exciting fishing you could ever have but that's active fishing. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's it's uh, it's exciting. You know, like mini tube fishing, the moist, same as that. But you know, if you're fishing down and across, and the line tightens up, and you know you hook the fish, and all that's great too. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same as the active fishing. You know, it's not the same experience. <laughs> and that's the impact. And that's exactly from you know what I've read, what I've heard is that, is that the most successful salmon anglers are the ones who are actively fishing every cast. Um, yeah. You know that the kind of cast out take a step down you know that's that's nearly it's nearly hitting hope for for those that are just passive all the time because you're just you're throwing the line out there and you're kind of seeing what happens whereas yeah. what you're well, saying is you're actually thinking about what you're doing why and targeting it on the basis of that like that's right now here's the other thing about salmon fishing and this is the big thing right people get despondent now i could go down to that bridge pool on the delphi and do that or even pools on the y and do that and I mightn't get anything, right? And that's fine. And do it again. And you know, it takes a bit of effort and all. You go up and not getting, not getting, not getting. And then, then you might get one, or you might even get two in a day. The thing that I tell people then is not to get despondent. And so once you're fishing right for salmon with the fly, you're not doing anything different at all when one does take it than when one doesn't. The only thing that changed is a fresh sea lice taking fish was there. Uh, and nailed it and I, sometimes I, I try and drill that into people's heads when they, you know say you, you fish a beautiful fly you couldn't get no it's don't worry you can get anything you fished it right that's all that. so the reason we didn't get anything is not one there or even if there is one there is not one that wants to take there and all that it's as long as you do the same thing fish the same efficiency the same way and just keep doing it i said you know uh, there'll there'll be a time when you're doing that 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 the, the keen fresh fish will be there and they'll take and and it's not you're not making a mistake you're not doing anything wrong, it's just that there's an outside factor that you haven't got control of thankfully, because you you can't see into the water which is a good thing, I mean if you could see into the water it would spoil the whole thing you know there's this barrier there that that doesn't let you really know what's going on for a hundred percent certain, you've always got to guess you know like. Like there's a place at the bottom of the uh, on the Delphi fish. You're just talking about seeing. You can see fish on the Delphi because the water's so clear. There's a place in the bottom where people sometimes before the fish, the pool, the meadow pool, they'll go down, grow over the bridge, crawl up the other side, peer into the water, and it's the first pool where fish come out of the sea and see if there's any fish in it or not. And uh, but there's people that will never look and they don't want to know. So I just fish it because, I, you know, if there's fish there or not fish there, I, I don't want to go around there and look at it and see that there's no fish who would spoil my fishing. You know, I'd rather just fish expectantly. And if you get one, I get one. If I don't, I don't, you know. And I could understand that. And that's the the kind of uh, the interesting thing about salmon fishing. If you could see clearly through the water and see, every, it would it would totally spoil it. You know, you you wouldn't you 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 would say, oh, there's no fish there, no fish there. The, the excitement is when you don't know a hundred percent what's going on. You might, you can, the most you can do is control what you're doing yourself, and that's the objective to me of the hunter fisherman is to get total control of what you're doing, know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then even then it's up to nature then but the thing is you know consistently over the long term you will catch more fish when you're approaching it correctly uh, because you're doing things after a fashion but it's the person that hasn't got it you know say i've caught fish uh you know fish in sunray shadows or mini tubes or or pulsating shrimp flies and all. i'm very happy then i know that works and i know that's a great way to fish and know if the fish are taken you know you get one if you meet the fresh one but if the person hasn't got that experience they can get despondent they can think well you know there's nothing like having the confidence in, in the technique through experience and fishing well to know that you're fishing okay and not 
get despondent, you know, especially say in the springtime when there's not that many fish about and stuff. But to, to keep fishing, I'm very happy fishing away, even if I don't get nothing. Even for days, I'm still happy, you know, it doesn't bother me. I think that's the hardest thing for people um, starting out. And even when they've got a bit of experience under the belt, it's, it's not knowing maybe whether what you're doing is correct. You know what I mean? If you're not catching, because then you kind of start questioning yourself, oh, is the, is the fly wrong? Is the technique wrong? Is what I'm doing, why I'm approaching it wrong? And it takes yeah, yeah. the learned hand to say, no, you're doing right. Keep at it. Like, you know, it's just they're not taking it. And that's for me. I know I found it and I still find it's kind of the, the most frustrating thing because you're then questioning yourself going, Jesus, this is, you know, what am I doing wrong here? <laughs> like, That's right. Yeah, that's where experience, uh, a, bit, a bit of experience of good fishing every now and then gives you the confidence to know that, you, that, that the fish will take your fly whenever they're in the mood, you know. And that's why that's why to concentrate your efforts on fresh fish fishing. You know, fresh fish fishing is the really I would say is probably the only salmon fishing people should do, especially at the beginning. Because first of all, they're forgiven. You don't have to have it a hundred percent right. The the freshness or keenness of the fish sometimes will override other factors. You know, and you'll still get odd ones anyway. But even for an experienced angler, you're going to get a, a much better chance of getting fresh fish. So. That's what I'm saying about the times to fish the rivers are when the main runs are on, or the you know the the it's the natural time for the runs to to happen, and you know and that's the beauty about being on a river at that time of year too is if you fish down your bait and you know you don't get anything, it it doesn't matter a big pile on a river like say the Moy or or other you know within the next run down you could get a couple larger you could go down four or five times you know but then you know fish can move in fish can be moving through can you know it can be some come up off the tide whatever because it's the time of year that they are uh, arriving and running through and also the nature of those fish i mean first of all to look at them they're in prime condition but secondly the nature of them is the it's the best time to get them uh, by the, the mentality of the fish. We are talking earlier about the mentality of the angler, but the first, for instance, the first grills that come in are usually stone mad. You know, they're absolutely attacked uh, things savagely. Like, say, for instance, I fish the earth, or you can tell uh, fish a collie dog a good bit, and sometimes uh, strip a collie dog. You know, and when those really first grills come in, the early ones, they they love that. They'll go crazy for it. But after a while, even fresh fish coming in later, you know, it's like someone flicked a switch. They won't, they won't look at it anymore. You know, they'll take smaller uh, ones or smaller fish, but they won't chase and and, and savagely take those uh, collie dogs anymore. There's there's a time period uh, where the mentality of the fish is, is allowed for that type of fishing, and it's again that's very exciting fishing and all that. But then, as the season progresses, it just comes like as if you flick the switch, and you can see it happening. You know, and that's that's just the way the way the, the nature of the, of the mindset of the fish let's put it that way changes you know and that's another thing you notice so so you know i can turn around that's what we're talking about flies i can say the collie dog is a great fly a seven centimeter collie dog fabulous fly but if you're using it at the end of july compared to using it you know in the middle of june it's, it's two different uh, experiences do you know what i mean how can you winkle out those kind of fish that aren't as fresh not necessarily stale but they're like you said they've gone beyond that mad mentality like Oh no! Well, most most of the time you're fishing, yeah, they're they're you know that they're the the early earliest grills are like that. The springer is a very good taker, but he, he isn't as well. Most of them aren't as mad as the, as the early the first early grills, which are really genuinely half crazy, you know. But uh, no, mo- most fish will take. I'm only talking about the how how suicidal the early ones are, how keen they are, you know. But the most of the fresh fish will take normal fishing tactics anyway, you know, like. Passive or active fishing with normal, <coughs> excuse me, herrings or shrimp flies or small tubes and stuff. But um, the early ones are particularly keen. It's exciting when you know if you're stripping your collie dog back through beat nine off the top of the weir and fish are slashing and overrunning it, you know, and taking it as it's exciting. You know, same in the springtime, the springers will do that. You know, in fact, one of the the most memorable experiences I have there in Beat Nine in the Earth was a an English guy playing a very big spring salmon there. And I seen it taking the fly, he just taking the collie dog. He didn't even see it. And I seen by the head and shoulders as it cruised through the sliced through, you know, sideways through the, the tube. I knew it was a very big fish. I was amazed that he didn't see it. I, c- I couldn't understand that, you know. But you find that uh, through guiding and time. I mean I, I remember on the Moy seeing seeing a good few fish one morning I said to the guy, there's a 
could few fish traveling anyway. And he said, why did you see one? Or did you see any? And I, I'm thinking he's not serious. You know, I'd, I'd seen like 30 fish maybe. And, and I was thinking, is he, is he serious? But he was serious. He hadn't seen anything, you know. And uh, anyway, on on the, the, the fly, to a certain extent then, as we can say, the fly is related to the freshness of the fish too, the fly that I would choose at, a, at the time of the season, you know, uh, it's related to the time of season and the freshness of the fish. So, like, I remember, you know, sometimes you go on salmon forums and I remember there was a little bit, not not a big argument, just a different opinions, you know, there was one guy from the Slaney said that the best fly to catch fish in September was a bibio or something, and another, or black pen or bibio, and the other guy was fishing on the morn, he was, he was fishing bright shrimp flies, and See what what the both both were right. The the guy on the morn was right for the morn because it's a Petey Spate River, and the guy was right on the Slaney for for that time of year for September. They were both right, but they didn't. How would I say? Not so maybe they did. Or they, they didn't seem to realize that each other was right for their circumstances. Yeah. So you could, they, and they were sort of d- disagreeing over it, but they were both actually correct. And uh, what what works in one place doesn't necessarily work in another, you know. So and that's, that's I suppose that's the other thing for it's, for salmon anglers to be learning is it's it's again it comes down to the conditions and it's specific to to the environment and the surroundings and that's why I do kind of I do kind of reference trout fishermen in that sense because they're very conscious of the conditions, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe that's yeah, something yeah. that salmon anglers need to kind of take on board more. There's a myth around salmon angling that you know you have to be lucky, and you know if you just if your name's on them and you meet them and all that, and if you subscribe to that myth, you're already beat. You need to be throwing that out. <laughs> with you need to be thinking these are fish the same as any other fish. They have preferences the same as any other. They may, they may not be feeding, but then in the nature, and and you know they they're influenced by the environment by. You know, even even the geography of the riverbed and stuff like that. You know, so you, once you start, you've got to start putting those peaks. You've got to start observing what happens and and why. And as I say, why? I mean, you know, w- what happens to a certain extent? Why not? Not the philosophical why. Well, if you subscribe to the myth, you're already beat. Let's put it that way. You're already beat. If you want to be a hunter of salmon, let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. You don't leave it to chance. Um, yeah. Is there any other kind of last bits of advice you give um, people in terms of trying to improve their catch rates then? Yeah, you, you, you've got to see what is going on. To take a note of everything and, you know, ask the older guys, you know, I mean, you know, some of these guys will tell you if you, if you ask them. That's how you, you learn from other people that are doing things. But, you know, and I've mentioned before just to, to improve your cast. I'll tell you a good one on the cast. And then, for instance, it, sometimes the Ridge Pool is a very popular place in Ballina, and sometimes you go down there and have a look over the wall and see what's happening, or you'd be in the tackle shop or whatever. So I was watching two guys over there one time, and one of them was overhead casting, and one was spay casting. Now, the guy that was spay casting wasn't that proficient at it, and he couldn't turn the fly over. The other guy that was overhead casting, he was turning the fly over. Now, the reason that becomes relevant is there's an upstream, sometimes in a warm day, you get an upstream sea breeze coming in from Kalala Bay, and it's a north wind which goes directly up the ridge pool. So if you can't turn your fly over, now into the wind, then you're not you're not going to turn your fly over. So anyway, the thing is, sometimes there are people way down the near side, and the fish get beat across to the other side of the wall, and they're lying thick along the wall. Now, if I was luckily, I was watching them, and I knew they're sort of friend of a friend, and I'd been down early. I think it was on with someone myself later, and I was watching them and seeing what was going on. So anyway, one one of them, you know, a friend of a friend, talking to him, he said, "It's funny. It shows you it's just all luck." He said. I only got one fish on my friend or he got nine, you know, or eight or nine, whatever. And I said, well, <laughs> I know that, I said, but it wasn't luck. And he said, oh, no, we were both fishing the same flies and fishing the same pool at the same time. I said, yeah, but he was turning the fly over into the wind and you weren't. I said, and all the fish are beat across to the far side. I said, by the time you're a leader and fly straightened out, it dead drifted at the start. You, you were out of the taking zone or basically the zone that most people don't reach at the right angle or whatever, and you were fishing over the heavily fished for fished, whereas your friend was getting the fish that didn't really see a fly at the right angle and speed that often. I said, and that's why he caught the fish, and you didn't, simply because he was turning the fly over and simply because he was overhead casting able to do that. I said, now you can do it, spay casting as well. I said, but you just, you weren't doing it. You need a little bit more proficiency. And I said, but if you had turned your fly over, you'd have got just as many fish as he got. And another example was a, a good friend of mine, 
because uh, we were talking about different types of flies and matters about shrimp flies and stuff. So he he would change flies because there's a clock there every hour. He put a fly on the dropper and a fly on the tail, and every hour then he'd switch the two flies around. And one day he had ten fish, and and it was nine on the fly, no matter where he put it on one fly, which was a Curry's red shrimp, and only one on the other fly. So like that shows you, you know, if you, if you've got to practical experiment. In a time like that, and 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 with the same guy now, he was fishing in the afternoon, and I was there one time, and not fishing, but I was there uh, watching, and there was two famous anglers, uh, they were one American, one English one, and they were leaving, and they didn't get anything, and the guy turned around to me because I know him from the magazine, so he said, uh, "Well, the fish aren't taken today," and I said, "No, that's not the case." I said, "I said, have you, I said, have you got twenty minutes?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Just sit here for twenty minutes." I said, you see that guy was Paddy Bonner from the tackle cell. I said, see that guy going out there? I said, he'll, see, he'll soon see whether the fish are taken or not. I said, I guarantee he doesn't get down to the bridge without hooking maybe half a dozen. And he said, no. I said, just watch, do you see? And that's exactly what happened. And that's what I'm talking about, predictability. You know, if you can predict something's going to happen. And I said, now, I'm not mentioning who they were. I said, you can't make definitive statements if you haven't got the right gear can't cast right, can't handle the wind, can't do the distance, can't do the angle. I said, then you cannot say that the fish aren't taken. I said, You're, you've got shortcomings yourself, which you didn't overcome. I said, that guy hasn't got any shortcomings. And I said, that's the result. And what was the difference with Paddy's fishing? Oh, he's fishing. Uh, the, the, fly, the water was a little bit higher than normal. So he was cutting through the excess water because he had the right uh, sink tip on. And then he had the, uh, the wind was upstream. So he had the, he had a 15-foot Loomis rod with a, what was it, a Leewolf triangle taper line on. He was turning the flies over at distance at the right angle. Because the water was that little bit higher, you had to have the double hand rod. You had to have the length, you had to have the angle. A very funny thing actually happened to him one time. This is really funny. It's one of the funniest incidents ever. He was fishing like that, and some people that don't know how to fish. Anyway, there's these two guys fishing on the bank, and they were sharing a pair of waders, neoprene waders, a boot foot waders so you know one guy would go down the pool then the other guy would go down and they'd change the waders every time so it was at the end of may when the, or early june there was a few late springers big springers and there was a lot of early grills this is years and years ago and the early grills are like two two and a half pound and the late springers are very big so the guys are fishing single-handed rod they're not experienced it's not their fault and they're fishing square across the river and they're wading out as far as they can paddy's in fishing the double-handed rod and he's fishing his class two sinking line so it's going under the water the guys are actually casting over paddy's line but he doesn't say anything it doesn't matter he knows they're beginners and it doesn't really matter because flies fishing under them anyway and he just hand lines it and cast again and everything's all right but anyway paddy hooks one of these big late spring fish it was later weighed at 16 pounds so it tears off down, down river and does an impression of the the blue marlin and the old man of the sea right jumping like but at the same self same time as paddy got the take this guy hooks a fish outside of him and uh, it was a small girl so it was like two pound or whatever but he hooks a fish anyway in the single handed rod and the first thing he sees then is this big fish uh, clearing the water below him, heading down river, and he sees the line hanging from it, right? So he thinks that he's caught on something outside in the river, and he's hooked this huge salmon, which is, was later weighed at 16 pounds, which is a really seriously big spring fish for the moy. So he, he, th- he puts two and two together. He thinks that's the fish he's hooked, and he's caught a snag outside. So he turns around to his friend on the bank and screams, help, help, I'm in a monster, and I'm stuck around a rock. So the guy with his normal clothes on, because they're sharing a pair of waders, right, picks up a net and runs into the river in his trousers <laughs> right out up to his chest, right? And Paddy's waiting down to the guy saying, look, I think you've made a mistake. He said, you find the fish you think you've hooked is my fish and not your fish. But this guy isn't listening, right, because he's completely lost it. And he's screaming, I'm a monster. Oh, did you see it? Did you see it? And all this, right? And then eventually, when the guy's out beside him with the net up, pops this little, like, two and a half pound <laughs> grills, right? So, uh, the hardest fight so there fish. you have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, when you when you you know on a on a big venue like the Ridgepool, you need to be doing things right, and that's that's when it matters too. And on the la- you know, I mentioned there the wind several times, and uh, you know that's what I thought about casting. For instance, like two examples are 
it doesn't matter the length of rudder. If you can't handle the wind, can't turn the flyover into the wind, you're going to be beat. Small or big river, or if you can't cast left hand, you're going to be beat if you're on the right bank and all this. That's why it matters so much. And, you know, I, I could even tell you one other incident, not, not an incident, but another about casting. I've been on the Delphi lots of times where people have had the roll cast. And because you're fishing from the bank there and you kind of stand back a little bit, every time the person roll casts, they pull the fly straight into the bank and into the bushes. And the reason, because they're not making acceleration stuff like that. But anyway, so the get your cast and sort it, you know, really sort it, and then you'll catch more fish. Yeah. Exactly. And and like you said, try and aim it for the, f- the fresh run of fishing to make it easier on yourself. It's hard enough as it is. Don't try and uh, make it any more difficult. Um, if people want to find out more, like, because you said, Robert, you are going to be, you're still going to be doing um, casting instructions. So if people do want to find out more, how can they get in contact? Uh, well, you, you can uh, check my website or just or just ring from that you know probably do a few videos and stuff uh over over the winter and put something up on youtube you haven't done anything for years you know but um basically on the website fly casting matters will get to get my details on that and um i have to say so there's a huge amount of information there as it is in terms of articles i get the sense robert have only scratched the surface in terms of what could be gleaned from uh from the depths of what you know about salmon fishing so you know, it's it's, well, it's been... lifelong learning for everyone. Exactly. Everyone's on a learning curve. You know, it's just. But mo, you know, I can't say that I. You know, I learned it from other people. You know, you meet guys and you pick up a bit here, a bit, a bit there. People show you this, that, and you know. And and unfortunately for me, for I must say, I was very fortunate when I was young. My father already salmon fished a lot. You know, and he he had a lot of it sorted out. You know, so that helped. I suppose I was fortunate that way. Best look for the. Uh... The remainder of the lockdown for 2021 as well and um for for the new career and hope it all goes well and we'll um look sure we'll, we'll talk again because <laughs> like i said i think we've only scratched the surface of what we can yeah. learn Th- from thanks very much for that Dara. that's very good of you to say i appreciate that thank you thanks for having me on my thanks to robert gillespie for joining me on the show and do visit his website robertgillespie.net for more details and information don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the ireland the fly podcast on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from You can also keep up to date on irononthefly.com as well as on Instagram and I'll be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.